Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theodist Podcast, where we have theological discussions to help build up your faith and understanding, and perhaps encourage you to explore some areas of theology you might not have considered before. My name is Kenny Innes, I'm your host, and I'm very excited about the guests on today's episode, which is a conversation between Tim Mackey and Lucy Pepiot. Tim is a co-founder and chief education officer of The Bible Project, which provides numerous free online resources that make the biblical story accessible to everyone and helps people understand the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. I'm sure you've heard of them, but if not, you should visit BibleProject.com. Tim has a PhD in Semitic languages and biblical studies, specializing in the Old Testament, and is a professor at Western Seminary. He identifies himself as a Bible nerd, and his work in collaboration with the Bible Project has been extremely helpful to people around the world. In conversation with Tim is Lucy Pepiot, the principal of WTC, which shares the Bible Project's vision to see theology made accessible to everyone. Lucy is a systematic theologian and teaches on doctrine and spiritual formation at WTC. She has also just recorded a classroom resource for the Bible Project on 1 Corinthians, which you can access at bibleproject.com forward slash classroom. In this conversation, Lucy asked Tim about his renewed engagement with the church fathers and mothers and how he has reassessed their ability to help connect the Old and New Testaments. This episode is a little longer than usual, but I'm sure you won't mind. Enjoy. On this episode, we are delighted to have Tim Mackey with us of The Bible Project. Welcome, Tim. Yeah, thank you. Great to be with you guys. Also in conversation um, with Tim will be uh, our principal, Lucy Pepiot. Great. Hi. And we're going to have some conversation today about how Lucy and Tim have been collaborating a little bit recently and some areas of overlap Mm. um, in the things that they're thinking about. Um, right now. But before we get into our conversation, Tim, I would um, like to ask you three Mm. questions that we're asking every new Mm. uh, guest on our podcast, Mm -hmm. just to get to know you a little bit better. Okay. So these are about things that you return to, Ah. things that are comforts for you. And it's a book, a meal or a food or a place. Mm. So they don't have to be definitive answers. Mm-hmm. We won't hold you to this. Wait, and I'm doing one of each? One of each. I can pick one of those three. No, options. one of each. Oh, okay. Right. Each one. <laughs> You're you not getting... the pressure's on. Yeah, totally. Okay. Uh, I'll take them in reverse order. Go for it. Because um, the first, this last two are easier. So as far as a place, um, I live in Portland, Oregon, which is about an hour and a half west of uh, a large volcano mountain. It's in the chain of the Cascade Mountains. There's a bunch of big volcanoes. Mm-hmm. So Mount Hood is the one closest to us. And um, I, it's just my favorite place in the world. Oh. Uh, on any, well, the south side is where all the ski resorts are, so mm-hmm. not there. <laughs> uh, but on the west, north, and east side, it's just wilderness. Mm-hmm. And it's a remarkable place. So that's a place I go to whenever I can go for a hike. Great. Uh, the middle one was a food? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, hmm. Green curry. Oh, uh, nice choice. G- green curry. Yeah, with the bamboo shoots, real t- oh, yeah. tender. Yeah. That's really important Sounds cute. part of it. Uh, and a book. My whole life is books. I know. But just pick one, one. <laughs> Okay, well, one that has been important probably in the last five years that I've reread three times and keep... Uh, learning from it is um, The Experience of God uh, by David Bentley Hart. Mm. Um, He's he's exploring classical theism in a way that I felt like I was learning about theism for the first time Mm. and in a deeply personal way. Uh, And that book has really actually helped me. Um, It's restored my faith in ways that I didn't know I was lacking faith in really beautiful ways. So anyway, that's been a very important book to me in the last five years. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. Well, now we know you. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, right. (laughs) 
Well, let's get into our conversation that we're going to talk about today. And I guess a good place to start would be how did you guys meet? Yeah. Well, that's kind of over to you, Tim, because yes. you emailed me. I did. A few years ago yeah. now. Uh, yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the Bible Project, we started making and still do make short animated explainer videos about the Bible and biblical theology. Um, but we also started uh, filming seminary level classes with students that are chosen from our Bible project like audience mm -hmm. and support community. Uh, and so uh, we have been filming live classes and, and just me nerding out on the Torah, mostly mm -hmm. uh, touring to the Torah. But um, we began to invite guest professors. And as I thought about who would be some of the first uh, people that I would want to have teach for the Bible Project Classroom, it was Lucy came to mind, and it was just I had read all your books on Corinthians, <laughs> and learned so much, and I just would, so I just it was like the hey you don't know me but uh, hello I'm Tim and Lucy would you want to uh, ever come teach a class and you said yes I did and um, although I had no idea what I'd said yes for <laughs> at the time yes well then yeah. was very surprised when I realized what I'd said yes to but I, well I was deeply honored. But I, I didn't really believe the request to start <laughs> with because I, I, there are many, many wonderful one Corinthian scholars out there, and mm. um, so I was, I was surprised and honoured and thought it was an enormous privilege. Mm. And so I did say yes, yeah, to <laughs> teach at the Bible Project, which mm -hmm. eventually happened because it got postponed a lot through yeah, that's right, pandemic. because of COVID. Yeah, um, and so we filmed mm. in February. Mm -hmm. So I met Tim face to face. We'd had a couple of zooms. Mm -hmm. And we knew we got on well, so that was a relief. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I was hoping he was, yeah. wasn't going to get too worried. <laughs> and then um, we, uh, and then we filmed in February. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we're really excited to see that ship sail. I'm very excited. Yeah. And you also mentioned an mm. app. Oh yeah, yeah. So we released the Bio Project app in January of 2022, and right now it's a place where all the videos and the podcasts, everything we've ever made is mm. all uh, put together. But um, the classroom is going to be available uh, within the app too, um, late 2022 or right. early 2023. Um, and uh, and your, so your class will be in there on the app too. And what we're really excited about for the app is to begin to create a Bible reading tool that isn't just like a scrolling, you know, kind mm. of scroll through your Bible, but really all uh, hyperlinked mm. to different resources so that whenever you're reading anywhere, you can just start clicking away to all kinds of different resources about the text that you're oh, reading yeah. in the moment. And so uh, eventually all the classes will get cut into snippets or sessions oh, and wow. then linked to the actual the Bible reader oh. so that when somebody's in 1 Corinthians 11, they could just click and watch you do that 20, 30-minute session, right, for example, right, right. on it. So we're really excited That's about the great. possibilities for the Bible Project app. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. <clears throat> so yeah, so we met, and obviously we got mm -hmm. on really well. And <laughs> I think we have a lot of shared theological values, I yes. would say, yeah. and which I really appreciate. I mean, I, I love the Bible Project work, but um, but it's it's deeper than that. I think it's mm. to do with how we understand the nature of God in some mm. ways, and that's kind of what I think we wanted to talk about today: mm -hmm. of how we come to that big question mm. of who God is and how do we understand who He is from mm. actually from different perspectives, because. Mm. I'm a systematic theologian, which I was so I was surprised <laughs> to be asked to do a, a Bible thing. Um, and obviously, Tim is a Bible scholar, so yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is interesting because both of you are involved in making theology accessible to people, so there's a real sense of um, similar vision and mission in what you both do. And I think what's interesting about what we might talk about today is how you are both having a conversation across your own disciplines. Mm. Um, even when you just spoke there about doing the class in First Corinthians and mm -hmm. being a systematic theologian and bringing that 
to bear on that. Maybe we can talk about what are some of the conversations that you've been having around um, Christology and how both of your disciplines are maybe overlapping in that. Do you want to start? Um, sure, sure. Well, I, I think one place to start was the most exciting conversation we had recently mm. was I shared about, I took a whole summer. I, I, I began to realize over the years that I was really underread in the first centuries of uh, early church scholarship and theology, mm. early church fathers and mothers. There's some important mothers, yeah. especially Macarena. Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh, so I just spent a summer just reading in uh, early early church scholars in theology, and I I was so amazing. Mm-hmm. And this is after decades of just sitting mainly and only in Hebrew Bible, Second Temple Jewish literature, and New mm-hmm. Testament, and I was just astounded by what a misperception I have of these early, all these early theologians um, from those first centuries and how much I have and have been learning from them. Mm. Um, And what was the, the, mm because I've heard this a lot of people not engaging with the church fathers and mothers Mm. or the patristics Mm -hmm. because they had some sense of suspicion or or weren't sure about the soundness of their theology. Yeah, sure. Um, And what was the misperception that you were under yeah yeah i I'm, i feel silly now because it was so uninformed but it was my it was my basic mindset was well there's like the biblical period and you know there's the progress of revelation and so ancient mm-hmm. israel judaism early christianity um but my misperception was once uh the jesus movement became majority non-israelite mm-hmm. Um, and then into these early centuries, my misperception was that the early church fathers were taking the biblical legacy and translating it so heavily into Greek or Hellenistic philosophical mm. categories that it just became something different. Mm. And so debates about, you know, homoousios or homoousios in the Christology debates, um, or just all of this essence and God's mm. essence and persons mm. and mm. substance and natures. I was like, what? None of that's in the Bible. Mm. So they're just taking the whole thing in a different direction. And, and so I'm just going to do like the Bible thing. And I just, I could not have been more wrong mm. about um, what the early church fathers and mothers were up to. And I just, it was like a sp- getting a spanking. <laughs> An intellectual yeah. spanking. From Irenaeus. From the fathers and mothers. Yes, totally. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and one part of it is just I realized, like, these people were actually more culturally close hmm. to the culture and language and thought categories of yeah. Jesus and the apostles. Yeah. That it's much more likely that I'm the, like the estranged relative yeah, yeah. Uh, who thinks the Bible thinks like me. But mm. in reality, um, uh, it, it's much more the case that they were in mm. tune with. But, but what also is, the, the, it seems to me, and this is where I, our conversation is interesting, mm. is it seems to me is they actually took much of the biblical tradition for granted. And what they were trying to do was bring a level of precision yes. and nuance to essentially the portrait of the nature of God. Yes, that's exactly. there in the biblical, mm-hmm. uh, biblical tradition, but they were doing it to a degree that Jesus and the apostles and the prophets didn't need to, mm. because of the time and circumstances of the, yeah. the origins of the Bible. But they, um, if, if anything, they were bringing a level of clarity because they understood the biblical yes. portrait of God in ways that I, I am still coming to reckon with, yeah. and that was just so exciting for me. Because I realized, like, my way of even conceiving of God's character has been fully shaped by these mm. early theologians. And mm. I didn't even know it right, right. Uh, until I read them. And so it's just been an exciting discovery in kind of my own yeah. uh, intellectual journey. Well, that, well, I was excited to hear that because um, I've been teaching Christian doctrine now for about 12 years, 13 mm. years. And, uh, you know, I was trained in systematic theology discovered the early church fathers and absolutely loved them. Mm. I feel like it's a treasure trove, you Mm. know, that we have. And and all the resources are free and available on the Mm -hmm. internet. You Mm -hmm. you could Mm -hmm. just go and read 
And, um, and people often say to me, so why do you privilege those texts? Mm. You know, if mm. you, when, you're, when you're looking at systematic theology, why do you go back to those texts mm. as authoritative mm. in addition to the scriptures? And the part of the answer is the proximity yeah. to the original events. Yeah. And that they did, they did have an advantage. So there are lots of different reasons, but um, and and they did understand the mindset and the culture and the world views that they were theologically reflecting on. Mm-hmm. Um, and partly, it's that you can see they've survived, and so yeah, and sure. your experience of yeah. encountering them these. Mm mostly men, let's face it, mm-hmm. although Macrina mm-hmm. was <laughs> important, mm-hmm. that encountering them is that they ha- had their own deep relationship with mm. God. Mm. And it was mm. that that they were trying to articulate yeah. was, yeah. how can we most truthfully tell this story again yeah. to to our people? Mm. And so one of the things we were going to talk about this afternoon is the their wrestlings with Christology or the the nature of Jesus Christ, the person and work of Jesus Christ, that was the biggest thing on their agenda Mm. for the first 300 years, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, is how do we speak most truthfully about Jesus, this Mm God-man? And that's what you're reading, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Reading Mm -hmm. some of their responses to that. Mm -hmm. Do you think, uh, this has been a reframing for me, Though I think if we could go sit down with Gregory of Nyssa yeah. or Athanasius and we and we talk, want to talk about Christology, I'm not. Would he even know what we're talking no, about? No, no, no. For they them, it's just said theology. Christology. Yeah, we're just we're trying to discern who God is exactly. And okay, yeah. I, I, I've always wanted to ask yeah, you that yeah. question. No, they wouldn't because <laughs> they didn't separate no, like these theological no. topics. No, for them it was all just it's ways all theology. Of, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the Bible is theology, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's all because it's all yeah. thoughts and words about God. Yeah. So yeah. what w- what they were just trying to do <clears throat> was to articulate these truths to mm. give some stability to the church mm-hmm. and. To safeguard, it was like putting guardrails up um, Mm -hmm. to the thinking of the early church. There Mm -hmm. were a lot of threats that were coming in, in in this, in terms of Christology or who who Jesus is, and they had to bat them off. Yeah. And then they had to give good reasons for why they were batting them off because it couldn't be personal, you Mm -hmm. know, or we Mm -hmm. don't like that person. Mm -hmm. Um, It had to be highly sophisticated debate yes. about the nature of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So one of the things that I was interested to talk to Tim about was because he's you've done masses of work on the context of the incarnation of mm. when Jesus when the son arrives mm. as Jesus of Nazareth mm-hmm. and the kind of Old Testament mm. or the the yeah. run up yeah. to Jesus mm-hmm. and what how people were conceptualizing God, mm-hmm. how the Jews were conceptualizing God, mm-hmm. and also perhaps the Greeks, mm-hmm. for, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the Romans, and then the impact of Jesus and his teachings mm-hmm. on them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things that I think yeah. is interesting to hear about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I one of the main issues to face in uh, in what is now like the scholarly field of early Christology, trying mm. to discern the early roots of the early Christian claims about Jesus. And a, a big part of that field is understanding con- Jewish conceptions of the God of Israel in the Hebrew Bible and Second Temple literature. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I've been taking deep dives into that for, for a long time. And what really struck me was, um, so, so I've worked hard to understand what, what is the native portrait of God with, just within the Hebrew Bible itself. Mm-hmm. And it's remarkably nuanced. Right. Um, so there's the Shema, you know, hero mm-hmm. Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. So there's the, the unity of God. But I think in that context, which is from Deuteronomy, the emphasis on the oneness of God is in, in contrast to other gods mm-hmm. like Baal or Marduk or 
Um, but then when you actually get into the narrative and poetic portraits of who God is in the, within the Hebrew Bible, it's really nuanced mm. and it's not simple. So, I mean, classic topics here are like the angel of the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, when the angel of the Lord appears to Moses or to Gideon and the narrator will just say the angel of the Lord appeared and the angel of the Lord, it's a messenger, it's a mediator so, with the conception meaning Yahweh is high, transcendent, mm. transcendent above. Moses couldn't look on God in his essence, you know, or else he'd whatever, be fried mm. or something. But God can send a mediator, the messenger. But then, this is a burning bush story. Yeah. But then when the messenger starts speaking, the narrator just stops saying the messenger of Yahweh and just says, and Yahweh said to Moses, <laughs> and Moses said to Yahweh. And so you're like, wait a totally minute. totally blurred the line. Yes, you're like, wait, so... Yeah. So, and you can just carry this through. Within the Hebrew Bible, there is this portrait of God in his utter transcendent mm. essence, who's in the cloud, right? Mm -hmm. To use the Mount Sinai imagery. But then the ways that God will make himself accessible, visible, mm -hmm. comprehensible to a human partner. And here are, are all of the, the, the core characters, as it mm. were, in the Hebrew Bible are the angel of the Lord the word of the Lord, which interacts with Jeremiah, like right. the word of the Lord is like a person that talks to him and that he sees. Mm. You're like, what does that mean? And, uh, or, or God's wisdom mm -hmm. in, in Proverbs, um, uh, or God's spirit. And so it seems to me the Hebrew Bible authors are staking out a space to yeah. talk about... Um, it's really hard to find language that now is the language that I've learned from the early church fathers, you know, <laughs> about distinct personages within yes. God, the utter transcendent God, the God become visible yeah. in these forms, and that the biblical authors have these categories. So I think what, what I found really helpful was when you said they had some kind of conceptual framework mm -hmm. that there was more than one. Yes. There was yeah. one. Yes. Um, but within that one, mm -hmm. there was more than one. Yes. So no one's making grand claims for a trinity in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's or, right. Or, you yeah, know, yeah. Because we can't. Yeah. But what you're saying uh, as a Hebrew Bible scholar is that there's intimations mm -hmm. of plurality mm -hmm. in some way, mm -hmm. not lots of gods, but yeah, no, no, it's, it's something. It within. is the messenger of Yahweh. Yes, it is and the, the mediator. Th that's right to humanity. Yes. Yep, yep. Um, and so, the and the spirit. Yeah. So yeah. looking forward to this time. So so what you're saying to mm -hmm. me is that it makes it seem almost sort of less alien the incarnation as a less mm -hmm. alien breaking through mm -hmm. into a whole new completely new way of understanding god but right. it's kind of it's something that god has been working towards in yeah. some way yes yeah so my next step was into second temple Jew pre-christian but second mm. temple jewish literature and when you look at um concepts of mediating figures between mm -hmm. god and humans um, what you find is that the, those, and they were all Bible nerds. They were mm. just Hebrew Bible nerds, <laughs> nerds of the Hebrew Bible. Um, and whether it's in the Dead Sea Scroll literature or the literature we now call the Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha, mm -hmm. you know, it's populated with these exalted divine mediator figures. Mm. Um, and, and even like in the, famously in the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's a whole scroll, 11 Q Melchizedek, that depicts Melchizedek. The, like the guy that Abraham right, met, right, right. as this divine human uh -huh. um, who's going to come bring God's judgment on all, all the nations, you know, in, yeah. in the apocalypse. Um, but, and, you know, these mediator figures get names, like in the Enoch literature. Yeah. Um, and so the, these are like Jewish authors who are more connected to the context of the Hebrew Bible. Mm. And they see a unity and plurality mm. within God's nature or being. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, I guess the point is, is that when Jesus and the apostles come onto the scene, claiming the things that they do, in one sense, there's a deep continuity yes. with this. But yes. on another sense, there's a radical discontinuity with the, the unique claim that Jesus was making about himself yeah. and that the apostles made about him, which wasn't just that... He's like a created angel. 
No. Or like uh, just a highly exalted mediator, but that he, he truly, well, you know, like in, in John, it's most on the surface in the Gospel yeah. of John. I yeah. and the Father are one. Mm -hmm. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, but I think that's those same claims in John are implicit in the narrative argument mm. of, of the synoptic Gospels. Like even just in Mark chapter 1, where he starts quoting from Isaiah and Malachi yeah. about Yahweh coming in person. Yeah. And then with a messenger ahead of him, and then he introduces John. And then you're like, and I'm waiting for Yahweh, yeah. and, and then Jesus gets He's baptized. Come as well. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the baptism scene yeah. of the Father yeah, addressing yeah. the Son through the Spirit. Yeah. And you're like, right there, you're dealing with the same type of mm. dynamic as in the Hebrew Bible with the Yahweh and the angel of Yahweh. So what's so fascinating is that, so if we, we ourselves would have what we would call a high Christology, mm -hmm. where we accept that Jesus, the God-man, shares his identity, mm -hmm. you know, is yeah. Yahweh, the second person of the Trinity, mm. and has come to earth. And, um, but the early church struggled with yes, thinking yeah. with a, a thinking that was that Jesus was slightly lower mm -hmm. so this mediator figure yes, yeah. who was also fully human mm -hmm. was not quite on the same level and there were different permutations of that thought that's, that's whether right. it was adoptionism which was an early form of it yeah. that you know it was just a, a, a normal person who mm. had been born a boy and mm. then God adopts him as a son in a sort of anointed sense mm -hmm. or whether as then Arius later took up this idea that he that the creation had been created through Christ mm -hmm. but so Christ because he was also part of the creation was just a bit lower yes and in that sense, Ares wanted to safeguard the transcendence of God because mm -hmm. God should not be associated with that mediator person. Mm -hmm. So Jesus was what they call a demiurge or the person who, you know, did the work in between. And so mm -hmm. where, how, I would be interested in your thoughts on that, especially now that you're mm -hmm. reading the patristics and mm -hmm. seeing the way that, um, so you mentioned the homoousios or yeah. homoousion principle, yeah. which is for that, that Jesus, the son is of one substance or of one, the same mm -hmm. essence, mm -hmm. the same substance as mm -hmm. the father, mm -hmm. which is the word they put into the Nicene Creed, mm -hmm. which was very controversial. Mm -hmm. And Aris did not hold to that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and wasn't and that result wasn't resolved when they put it into the Nicene Creed at three two five. Yeah, that's just, right. Yeah. You know, just debate and discussion and dissension just rumbled for mm. really centuries, probably, but definitely the whole of the fourth century. Um, so, what are your thoughts on on that? About mm. you know the mm. in a sense the ease with which the early Christians could mm. think that this was mm -hmm. an adoptionist story mm -hmm. or that Jesus was just a bit lower and the way that the early church fathers had to really defend that space. Mm -hmm. I, well, what's fascinating to me is that, uh, I mean, the, the New Testament claims about the nature and identity of God and Jesus, that they are on one level, like extremely clear, mm. But they also stake out a territory where you could nuance the relationship between Jesus and God in a few different ways, mm. and everybody can quote the Bible, right? It's mm. very similar to our day with mm -hmm. views about what pick your topic, and everybody yeah. can appeal to the Bible. Yeah. And so, what do you do yeah. in those circumstances? Yeah. And so, it seems like the the discussion there was not just can you pull on different Bible verses from the yeah. Gospels or from Proverbs or Genesis, but like which portrait of God is most true to the greatest amount of portrait of revelation of God in scripture, but also to the deep logic of the, of the biblical story. Yeah, the coherency of it. That's right. And so it seems like what all these early church fathers and mothers are doing is 
they're actually not it's and this is just in three months of yeah, no, reading a it. ton but it, my my sense is that they weren't trying to make claims and describe the nature of god and god's own hidden essence mm. what the, what they are more trying to do is mark off dead ends mm-hmm. and say if we talk about jesus as a supreme but created creature yeah that that connects us to god then just follow that logic out mm-hmm. and it um gets you to a savior that can't truly save Safe. us exactly and so it, it's in, it's more like they're trying to mark off dead ends so that we more clearly understand the portrait of god and his essence that we all know we can't fully understand mm-hmm. but it's trying to protect that that thing about the nature of god i don't know if i'm doing a very good job of no i think it. you're doing a great <clears throat> job but and I, I, that's what i think the systematic <clears throat> theology that's the the heart of it, mm-hmm. it and that's mm-hmm. why i find it such a thrilling subject as yes. we we're talking yeah. about they, yeah. because you get to deliberate and and ponder the very nature of god and how he interacts with the world mm-hmm. And you know, and I, find, I don't know what you feel after reading them, but I find the church fathers very humble in their mm-hmm. acknowledgement of not being able to do that. I mean, we're human and we have these little brains yes, yes. that can't articulate everything about God, yeah. but we do our best. Yeah, yeah. And we do our best because we want to be faithful to Scripture. So they were exegetes, mm-hmm. as you were saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they, yeah. the Bible is all over their work. Yes. And... Um, they, they, it, it's a sort of protective mechanism of the church mm-hmm. and of the gospel mm-hmm. that they were engaged in this um, theological work. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking, um, I, just because I was reading it most recently as my bedtime reading, don't judge me. <laughs> uh, but Gregory of Nazianzus, oh, his five... That's kind his, of like my bedtime his, reading. Oh, really? There you go, <laughs> yes. yes. So Gregory of Nazianzus, yes. he lives... Mid, mid, late three hundreds. Yes, yeah, yeah, he was fourth century. So he has these five orations that are yes. kind of like one, I guess, one of his most important mm. works. But the first oration is really just all um, these really brilliant, short little essays about how God, in God's own hidden essence, mm. will be eternally unknowable mm. to us. Because it's just, you know, yes. uh, my analogy, it's like a dog trying to teach a dog algebra. It's just right. they're not capable of grasping. But then he just flips it and he says real quick and, and to say, but saying that something is in its essence unknowable does not therefore mean we can't know anything about yes, it. Yes, exactly. And then he just, there he just turns to the gospel narratives mm. and he starts to work out the implications of if what Jesus claims about himself is the case, mm. then what we can know about God is, and he just starts like filling it out logically. Mm. And I, I th- for me, what was so helpful was, I think when I remember first being introduced to the debates about is God of the similar essence, homoousios, mm. or mm-hmm. is Jesus of similar essence with the Father, or homoousios, the same essence. Yeah. And it's the difference of one Greek letter, right? One That's the, well, and I, Yeah, totally. <laughs> and so, re- really, when I was introduced to this, I was like, oh, gosh, those early... Church fathers—they're making such a big deal out of one letter—and but I realized, like, what's really at stake isn't just like who God is. It's mm. it's a whole vision of reality. You actually yes. end up with two different visions of what kind of universe we're living in. Yes. Depending on your understanding of that one little iota. Yeah. And uh, I think that struck me in a new way this right. this summer that these debates are so charged with high stakes in yes. those early centuries because they do really result in fundamentally different views of reality oh of re- oh, oh, and of and reality of, yes of reality yeah. um, and of who we are yeah. yes because all our anthropology flows out of who we think mm-hmm. jesus is mm-hmm. and so if if we compromise on the full divinity of Christ, mm-hmm. the idea that the Son would unite himself to humanity mm-hmm. is a lesser story. Mm-hmm. If you see what I mean? You know, yeah, so if, yeah. if yeah. the Son is really the Son who is fully divine of one essence with the Father, so he is God, mm-hmm. then the incarnation is a story 
of God who has come to unite himself with his creatures. Yes. And yes. so how much does he love us to yeah. do that? Yes, yeah. But if he's only sent his mm. second in command, as mm-hmm. it were, mm-hmm. you know, well, I won't come, but yeah. there's someone who can kind of sit in the middle of us both yes. and be a buffer between mm-hmm. you and me. Mm-hmm. It's a different story. It's yeah, totally different. It's concept. kind of like, oh yeah. well, what we always feared to be true—that we couldn't get quite that close to mm-hmm. God—is probably true. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's what's great. So I've been working in the Book of Exodus recently yeah. for um, some projects I'm working on, Bible projects. So this is the debate Moses is having with God right. after the golden calf, uh, and yeah. and God says to Moses, like, you know, these people—they're hard of heart. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to go with you guys. You mm-hmm. guys go into the land. And Moses is like, no, no, no. We need you to go. Mm-hmm. And what Yahweh says is, I'll send my messenger. I'll send the angel of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And, and then what Moses says is, not good yeah. enough. He says, how will we be known as separate from the nations if your face, the word, right. it's the word face. Which that we, is, we have presence. Yeah, right? if you're present. If you're present. Okay. And so what God does he responds to Moses' intercession by saying, mm. okay, I will, my me. face will come with yeah. you. So even right there in that debate, Mo- Moses isn't satisfied yeah. with just a created mediator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He re- what he knows is for the biblical story to really be about the union of God mm. with his creatures in love, that it has to be God himself. It has to be. So that's a good example where yeah. like, the, that's a Hebrew Bible that's the author continuity. working it out. Yeah. And so you say, well, what kind of climax of the biblical story mm. is most in, in line with that portrait, mm. like right there at Mount Sinai? And, um, so, and that's what all of the, the pro-Nicene uh, right, theologians were saying. Um, only one portrait of God will truly be consistent with what's claimed about Jesus and continuity with the Hebrew Bible. Um, and then also uh, will t- truly be an invitation to all humans to be joined in Join. union to their creator. Exactly. And it was all like, it, it, everything was high stakes. It was like every topic everything. you can imagine was exactly. at stake in those early centuries. Because and, what <clears throat> is unassumed is unhealed. As <clears throat> Gregory mm. uh, Nazianzus mm-hmm. says, you know, yes. that if you don't, if God hasn't taken it up into himself, then it is still hasn't been made incorruptible. Yes, yeah, and that's right. So yes. Ivor Davidson, who's one of my mm. favorite theologians, mm. he, he says, the whole of patristic theology can be summed up in the question, how close can God come? Mm. Oh, that's well said. <laughs> that's exactly like, right. That's it. Yeah. And that was the yeah. offense. You know, this is this is yeah. what people like Arius and Nestorius mm. and the people mm. who were and Apollinarius, people mm. who were later, uh, you know, sadly for them, mm. named as heretics, mm-hmm. and um, this position is heretical, which is mm. really just a way of saying the distortion of the faith. Yeah, and it's always going to be easier to believe a heresy. It's it's going to be more conceptually challenging to deal with the reality of yeah. of how God has dealt with us. Um, but that, uh, yeah, so that, that is the question, yeah, that's you know, a, that's a that great they were wrestling it. with it yes. because he'd come too close, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe another, I think, misperception that I had about those early centuries, um, was well, I kind of already said it that just they were needlessly trying to be precise nitpicking. about nitpicking. Yeah, yeah. but I, this is where it became very personal to me, where I realized like I have fundamental assumptions about who it is that I am in relationship with mm. when I say I'm I know God mm. <laughs> and I like talk to mm. that God every day actually first mm. thing right every day <laughs> and it's like who do I who like who am I, who do I think I'm talking to? And, and I think what they cared about so deeply was that we are relating to the person of God in a way that truly reflects who God is. Now, will God allow people to know him who don't fully understand who he is? Well, of course, that's yeah. all of us. 
But um, if we have the chance to speak more truly of God than I did yesterday by just thinking a little more clearly mm. and going back to the sources and to the, the tradition, then why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. It's sort of the same with my, my wife mm. in seeking to know her, mm. which often means learning things about her that um, I thought I knew, but I realized mm. I didn't know. Exactly. And um, all, so, yeah, er, the, all of a sudden, early fathers became another resource mm. for me in mm. that journey of knowing God that I, I don't know why, I don't know why. I just, uh, it took me, I've been following Jesus 25 years. <laughs> no, but it's so good to hear <laughs> things like this because we, all of us, I mean, knowing, coming to know God is, is going to take us forever. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful pursuit, mm-hmm. and it is bit by bit, isn't it? Little mm-hmm. bit by little bit. Yes. And it's a joy and a privilege, and the more we learn, the more we know we don't know. And, yeah, yeah. But it's like this, it, it just draws you in, doesn't it? The mm-hmm. not knowing draws you in mm-hmm. to wanting to know more. Yes, And yeah. it, I think it's great, and I think it's great for people listening to realize that someone mm-hmm. as well-versed in the scriptures and as intelligent as you are and as well-read as you are are still learning Mm. you know Mm -hmm. new and exciting things and i feel that every day and Mm. um and it it, it's just yeah it's great um uh, gregory of nisa who i really fell in love Mm. with um he has this wonderful image he has a little one of his there's a short commentary on the life of moses just oh, called the life of Moses. Okay. Yeah, it's really great. And he, he retells the whole story of Moses as a, in an allegory or a metaphor for the soul's journey to know God. Mm-hmm. And so ascending Mount Sinai mm-hmm. is, a, you know, he kind of takes the, the Moses story that way. But uh, he has this wonderful kind of phrase where he talks about to, to know, to truly know God will mm-hmm. be like what you just said, an eternal journey. Mm-hmm. Um, because God and God's nature is infinite mm. potential and uh, power and beauty and creativity. So he uses this phrase of an eternal stretching out of the human yeah, soul. Yeah, epictosis. Epictosis. Yeah. yeah. It's a great idea. It's so wonderful. The, it's, the, the more God fills you with himself, the more you expand yes. to take him into you. Yes. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It gave me this new image of what growth is. Right. Like we think of human development and yeah. kids grow up and uh-huh. we're continually growing or maybe we get old and stodgy mm. and we stop growing. But his vision of the existence of a human in union with God yeah. is an infinite stretching Towards. and growing into mm. the infinite nature of God. It's just so beautiful. And it's partly, mm. it's partly has a sort of connotation of striving, like yes. a sort of reaching yeah, towards. Yeah. But I also read a brilliant, I'm reading a brilliant book at the moment by someone called Adonis Vidu on the, mm. uh, on the Trinity. Mm. And he uses the analogy of a magnet, of mm. God as a magnet. Uh, he uses mm. it very well. It's, mm. Anyway, di- that's for a different conversation. <laughs> but the <clears throat> magnet, uh, uh, you know, being drawn. So I think that works really well with Gregory's idea of epictasis. That yeah, yeah. You, you know, you're being pulled and you're almost being pulled. Yeah to more and more and more of being filled with God and, yes. and that that's freedom. Yeah, that's exactly right. And yeah. joy. Yes. So to bring it all the way back around, yeah. um, what has been really helpful for me, why I named David Bentley Hart's uh, book on the experience of God. Um, he's naming three parts of human experience mm. that if you really drill down, all of them point to the nature of the classical God of theism mm. as being the only one. So b- being consciousness and bliss. Right. And bliss being the fact that humans are just these like infinite, empty holes of desire. Mm. That no matter what we do to meet our desires, we just, they all of a sudden, they're there again tomorrow. Yeah. And so I, this has been really helpful for me as especially I'm a, like a bookaholic <laughs> and I'm just like, like what I said, I find something new and then all yeah. of a sudden the whole summer's gone yeah. and I, and I just, I do a bunch of reading and then I'm like, well, there's not enough time in my <laughs> life anymore to learn about all the stuff I want to learn about. There's this, it's, and it's a desire. Mm. And what Bentley Hart talks about is like, what, what are we looking for? 
Mm. What am I looking to, there's some deficiency that I'm mm. trying to fill and it's a lack of understanding, right? And mm. I want to understand more and more and more. And it's this insatiable appetite. And we all have different versions of these, yeah. you know, and they all, we're, they're all, we meet them in dysfunctional ways, but you can channel them in healthy ways. Mm. And so um, even while learning about this whole field of, right, of early Christian theology that I could give the rest of my life to, I just have to put my hands up and be like, it's okay, because what, what they would, I think, say to me is, oh, just, like, read us if you want, but really, like, know God. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's the one Definitely. who will infinitely satisfy, satisfy that desire. Because yes. that's really what I'm looking for yeah. when I'm yeah. reading all this stuff anyway. So it's become really personal, too. And uh, so, in, in, ironically, yeah. I can't get enough of reading them now. <laughs> but at the same time, I it's also making me realize that what I'm looking for won't be satisfied by buying another book. No. Even though I usually do like go buy it. another book. I know. But uh, uh, you, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I yeah. know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. I just, um, to completely change tack, I think it's really funny that your misperception about systematics is that it was nitpicky as a Bible scholar. Ah, huh. <laughs> <laughs> Because in my Bible yeah. scholars nitpick over a word. Oh, sure. Yeah, Don't yeah. Don't they? Oh, yeah, totally. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm like, wait, who are you Who's calling nitpicky? <laughs> <laughs> Just had to throw that. That's one in funny. There. No, I've yeah. never heard you say that before. That's good. Yeah, you're exactly right. I know. Yeah. So like maybe we're all nitpicky. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's that's really interesting to think about that this misconception of the church fathers and mothers is that they are trying to box. God in by definition. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. It's um, just the opposite. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's this invitation into the mystery mm -hmm. of who God is. And and sometimes I come across people speaking about the Hebrew Bible and saying it's quite hard to get mm -hmm. a definitive answer on who God is. It's mm -hmm. very mysterious. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting, I think, in this conversation is we've kind of come at it from both directions, mm. um, from the mystery of um, of the Old Testament, the mystery that we're invited into in the church fathers and mothers, all centering on the mm. person of Jesus mm -hmm. into mm. knowing who God is. And so it's been great to have this conversation to get some, at least uh, an invitation into finding some of those footholds about how can we talk about this God yeah. who is beyond our knowledge and our experience, but makes himself accessible to mm -hmm. us. And, mm -hmm. But I think it also helps realize that in, in like right now in our in our current scene which is you know my context in the US yours here mm. in the UK um, but the the theological debates of our age are usually almost always recycled debates oh, always that have rehashed. already been worked yeah, yeah. through totally. and if we feel like they're new and dramatic mm. it's probably just cuz we haven't revisited or even know that these debates yes. have been had exactly like centuries ago and yeah. by people who are way smarter than most any of us on the scene today. Yeah. Uh, which is another important learning, I think, too, about that we're a part of an ongoing yeah. tradition and conversation about yes. things that are really just essential to all of us, exactly. which is why every generation has had to deal with them. So you see, and now you're a systematic theologian. I guess I am. And you would get you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I am. Yeah. What's wonderful about the Bible Project and, I guess, WTC is this, the opening of that door to read and mm. to understand about what's come before. Mm -hmm. And um, I always say, you know, it's, it's wonderful to discover that Christianity wasn't invented in 1970. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The centuries of wisdom. Yeah, that or can, 1870 yeah. or 1770 <laughs> exactly. and so exactly. on. Yeah. So I would just have a question for you, Tim, having come to the Church Fathers recently. For anyone listening, what, who, who would you, where, where would you say would be a good place to start from your oh, perspective? Well, you know, um, I, <laughs> I, I tried starting with origin. Yeah, maybe I, um, I wouldn't. In its first principles, and okay, I would well, not no, recommend that. Yeah, I actually. think I'm with you on that. Although, yeah. come to it at some Eventually. point, but not start. It's yeah. kind of like the, the, yeah, the deep yeah. end of the pool, even though he was yeah. like early. Um, you know, I started with Athanasius on the Incarnation. Yeah. 
and it's it feels like you it, it's brilliant it's well, hard it to believe that it's book, like yeah. you're singing Lissy's song that was her <laughs> that was her favorite book yes. really that that was my answer it's... to what was my favorite book that i go back oh really to. yeah oh all right yes oh yes and then uh a close second would be Gregory of Nyssa's On the Soul and Resurrection. Yes. Which, which he got from Macrina. It, well, exactly. The whole thing <gasps> is framed as a, that Socratic dialogue between he and his sister. But it's his sister that's schooling him. Exactly. And, um, On and her she, deathbed. And she's brilliant. Yes. Because oh, their brother, uh, Basil, Basil, Basil um, had just died. Yeah. And so they're processing their brother's death. And it becomes this narr- narrative about a biblical theology of the soul, yeah. death, and resurrection, where she's teaching him. Yes. And it's absolutely brilliant. And he calls her the teacher, yes. he, as the brothers yes. used to call her Importantly the teacher. Importantly so. Yeah. So that comes in a close second. Nice. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Great. Those are great places to start. Next time we talk together, um, hopefully there will be a next time, we can talk about Lucy's discoveries of um, uh, Hebrew Bible and what she's, what she's uncovered. <laughs> that might be a while. I'll get there. Yeah, it's okay. It's all right. Well, thank you, guys. It's been a real privilege to sit in on this conversation. And Tim, thank you for joining us and, yeah, and taking the time. Yep, my idea of a good time. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Well, that was amazing. Thank you so much to Tim Mackey for joining Lucy and Kenny and inspiring us to take a closer look at the church fathers and mothers. In our next episode, Kenny will be chatting with Janie Laurie White, Chief Operating Officer at WTC. They'll be talking all about studying theology in today's climate. Janie not only oversees all operations full-time at WTC, She has studied the grad dip and is currently doing the MA, so she really knows what she's talking about. We know Tim will be a tough act to follow, but Janie is always great to listen to. The Theodisc podcast is part of WTC, a theological college that seeks to partner with the church through equipping and sending the whole people of God. Our innovative hub model allows you to study on any of our part-time programmes without leaving your work or ministry. Come and find out more at wtctheology.org.uk. Thank you for listening to Episode 6 of Theodisc. Join us for Episode 7 when Kenny and Janie Laurie White will be talking about studying theology. Bye for now! Bye for now!